Welcome to Startup ROI, where we explore global technology trends and how they manifest themselves in France. Whether you're an entrepreneur, investor, or tech enthusiast, I'm glad to have you here. If you are a startup interested in being featured or a venture capital firm interested in collaborating, go ahead and reach out directly. Bonjour, B-O-N-J-O-U-R, at startup-roi.com. All right, now on to the episode. This week I'm reading The Next French Revolution, Digital Sovereignty, and Macron's Ambition to Put La French Tech on the Map. I originally posted this in July of 2021, um, but it's become more and more topical as Macron has recently announced his grand economic development plan called France 2030, which I've posted about a bit on my social channels. Uh, So if you are interested in his impact on tech and his look towards the future, uh, go ahead and listen to this. And then, of course, check out some of the content around France 2030 online. All right, let's get started. Preamble. Tomorrow is le 14 juillet, better known among Anglophones as Bastille Day, or French Independence Day. As a 4th of July baby myself, I like to pretend that the celebratory fireworks over the Champs-Élysées are coincidentally 10 days late. But of course, everything isn't about me. In light of this national holiday, I thought what better way to honor la France than to peer into its history, evaluate its present, and look towards its future, with regard to tech, that is. France is a country quite literally known for revolution. Many readers may not know Victor Hugo, but you better believe they remember the name of Anne Hathaway's character in Les Mis, Fontaine. And if we learn anything from that story, it's that revolutions tend to be uphill battles that require the perfect mixture of leadership, motivation, and timing to succeed. So perhaps it's not hyperbolic when white papers covering the tech scene here are titled The French Tech Revolution. This was actually the literal title of a white paper by Sifted, which is a an outlet here that covers tech. I think it's a subsidiary of the Financial Times. France is undergoing a total rebrand from land of the 35-hour work week to Europe's innovation hub, but the process is a long one. Some days it feels like we are close to a tipping point. You could argue this newsletter is proof, with each new fundraising announcement breaking records set by the previous one. Behind the scenes, however, there are strategic forces that have set in motion the machine de guerre we see today. In this piece, we'll explore these key players, unpack the term digital sovereignty, and highlight the companies vying for the top spot to ensure liberté, égalité, and fraternité in this former empire. Speaking of emperors, let's start off with a fitting, apropos, quote from Napoleon Bonaparte. Quote, ability is nothing without opportunity. Inspiring. Although he also said religion is what keeps the poor from murdering the rich, so we should take it with a grain of salt. The Cloud Wars. I'm going to start off by introducing one of the least sexy phrases in tech, infrastructure as a service. You've probably heard of software as a service, but if you peel back one more layer, you get to the hardware that essentially powers the entire internet. Though you might not be actively aware of it, each action you take, digitally speaking, initiates a ripple effect from your device through the software and all the way down to the hardware layer of the stack of technologies underpinning the magical place we call the internet. Let me elaborate. The internet age ushered in an era of abstraction. Graphical user faces, or GUIs, abstracted away the complexity of data tables. Mobile applications abstracted away processes, powering payments and online interactions. And in many ways, the cloud has abstracted away the need for physical hard drives and data storage. As our phones get smaller and more powerful, we generate data at a mind-boggling rate. But most of it isn't stored locally. Rather, it's in the cloud. But just because we can't see the cloud doesn't mean it doesn't exist. 
Cloud computing is a scale business, meaning you reap the benefits from the upfront cost, setting up the infrastructure, once you've reached a certain size. It's also a complicated, technically speaking, and very sensitive business, data breaches, disaster prevention, data loss, etc. Needless to say, the stakes are high. For the most part, big tech sort of stumbled into this area because they were either already doing it internally and figured out they could monetize it elsewhere, or because they had the technical minds and firepower, read moolah, to take their shot. The cloud computing industry is massive. In 2020, it was valued at around $371 billion, but is expected to hit $832 billion by 2025. With those figures, you would think it's a highly competitive market, yet the reality is there are only a few major stakeholders, namely in the U.S. and China, that dominate on a global level. According to Catalyst, three players in the U.S. garnered a 58% market share in their first three months of 2021. Can you guess who they are? It's Google, Microsoft, and Amazon Web Services. When you look at the chart above, however, you should be thinking to yourself, who makes up the other 42%? It's a good question. If you work in the technology space and are reasonably familiar with your product team, you've probably overheard developer operations or DevOps folks talk about implementing Kubernetes, the Google Cloud offering, or theorizing on the newest continuous integration strategy for their AWS environments. But unless you are a subject matter expert, or in this case, familiar with the regional markets, you probably haven't heard of them. In France, there are three cloud providers of note, OVH Cloud, Scaleway, and 3DS Outscale. Together, they provide enough cloud infrastructure to support the entire French ecosystem, an important detail for the next chapter. And independently, they are highly profitable enterprise companies. But tête-à-tête with the big guys, they pale in comparison. I have a chart here comparing OVH Cloud's annual revenue in 2019 with Amazon Web Services Q1, so that's over a three-month period in 2021, and it's a 19x difference. So Amazon really is the uh, Goliath and OVH Cloud the, the David in this scenario. The graphic above illustrates this point quite nicely. The key piece of information here is that those earnings are reported over different time periods. This means that in a single quarter, three months, Amazon Web Services makes 19 times more revenue than OVH Cloud does in a whole year. We're talking orders of magnitude here. But the French tech ecosystem is younger and less mature than that of the U.S., you quip to yourself quietly. This is true. But as we look to the future, these companies will play a major role not only in the tech community, but in government and national identity. As a result, the conversation is shifting from data privacy to the notion of digital sovereignty. Nowhere in Europe is this more topical than in France. The quest for digital sovereignty. Quote, digital sovereignty refers to the ability to have control over your own digital destiny, the data, hardware, and software that you can rely on and create. World Economic Forum. In a recent interview, my good friend President Macron outlines the state of affairs with three acronyms. The U.S. has GAFA, the Chinese have BATX, and the French, we have RGPD, or GDPR. If you're familiar with these terms, you have to give it to him. In a single self-effacing sentence, he manages to challenge the status quo at home, maintain support for popular, yet at times questionable, legislation, and takes his hat off to worldwide leaders in tech. Quite the feat. But let's break it down. GAFA, G-A-F-A, equals Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Apple. BATX, B-A-T-X, is Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, and Xiaomi. RGPD, or GDPR, as we say overseas, is Réglementation Générale sur la Protection de Données, or 
which basically uh, is all the pop-ups that you see when you land on a site in Europe that asks if you want to allow cookies. Macron's pithy political tagline plainly stated is that America and China have the most valuable tech companies in the world, and all we got was this lousy data regulation policy. To be fair, he follows up by saying that GDPR regulation has become a worldwide reference point for the future of data protection, but he insists that it's important to strike a balance between safety, privacy, and innovation. It's as if one day he woke up, looked left and then right, and came to the realization that every business, app, and technology was either created by or hosted on an American or a Chinese company server. If the next frontier of business, innovation, statehood, and sovereignty rests upon ownership and control of the flow of data, France is falling behind. We don't think about this too often in the U.S. for exactly the reasons outlined earlier. We own a major uh, stake in the Internet. We take this for granted, and with access, ownership, and innovation comes power. More and more, the Internet and data have become the commodity of the 21st century, much like electricity and oil were foundational for the transformation of energy and therefore business in the 20th century. All I'm saying is we've started wars for far less. So if the idea of data and big tech as a national security issue sounds extreme to you, I would respectfully disagree. I've added a little quote here from Harvard professor Shoshana Zuboff, uh, who talks a little bit about uh, data data broker activities and how they're contributing to shifting uh, societal trends and what she calls surveillance capitalism. So here's the quote. In this new phase of capitalism's development, it's the raw material of human nature that drives a new market dynamic in which predictions of our behavior are told and then sold. The economic imperatives of this new capitalism produce extreme asymmetries of knowledge and the power that accrues from that knowledge. This is unprecedented territory with profound consequences for 21st century society. It's hard to imagine the scope of data we produce as a civilization moving forward. We've only just scratched the surface. Broadly speaking, this is a really good thing economically. It's estimated that the Industrial Internet of Things, IoT, alone can add $14 trillion of economic value to the global economy by 2030. Mobile phones are no longer the only connected devices, but cars, trucks, refrigerators, even packages. As we accelerate into this hyper-growth and hyper-connected phase, it's probably worthwhile to reflect on the potential consequences and how to approach the structural changes instead of just breaking barriers and cleaning up the mess down the line. The good news is that there are already many organizations problem-solving in advance through research and policy-making channels. Gaia X, for example, aims to be a federated data infrastructure for Europe, and the Institut de la Souveraineté Numérique is a non-profit exploring the potential impact of these changes on society in France and communicating with the public and those in public office to raise awareness. For France, and virtually any country that isn't the U.S. or China, tackling these problems head-on, evaluating national security implications, and most importantly fostering innovation and attracting talent will be critical for success and stability in the near future. Macron's vision, it seems, is to find a balance between reckless, unregulated technological innovation and repressive data privacy rules. If he can find that sweet spot, pass thoughtful legislation, and turn France into a destination for innovation, he might just be able to construct a powder keg ready to ignite the next French Revolution. Macron serves as the figurehead for this movement, but to fully contextualize the significance of France's recent changes, we have to pay homage to the godfather of French tech, and one of today's power brokers behind the scenes. Xavier Niel. It's tough to summarize Xavier Niel. 
You could commission a wall-sized Renaissance painting to try and depict his accomplishments, business networks, and personal life, and still not capture it all. Since I'm not much of a painter, I used a modern-day paintbrush, Twitter, to outline his improbable beginnings and subsequent rise to telecommunications mogul. The thread is actually pretty good, so feel free to check it out. The lead is how it started, Minitel porn and sex shops, and how it's going, 8.8 billion euro net worth, dating the heiress of LVMH, co-owner of Iliad, Station F, Kima Ventures, and Le Monde, how Xavier Neal went from filth to filthy rich and reshaped French tech in the process. It's actually quite a compelling story. We'll cover most of it here. It's hard to be more concise than a well-worded Twitter thread, but I'll try. Or just go read the damn thread. Xavier Neal did the following. He built the equivalent of a porn hotline on the Minitel, which was a precursor to the internet, dropped out of school, and made his first million by age 24. He legitimized operations by purchasing a media license so he could create services on top of the Minitel console uh, and, and the network. Bought out his co-founder and rebranded his group media group, Iliad. He moved into telecommunications via early internet investments and the founding of two companies that are still household names today, Freemobile, which is a wireless uh, telecommunications company, kind of like the T-Mobile of France, and Scaleway, a cloud infrastructure company that has a, you know, one, of the, one of the three major cloud computing companies, cloud services companies in France. He's an angel investor in some of big tech's early winners like Uber and Airbnb, and he ended up creating Kima Ventures, a VC firm, to fund promising entrepreneurs worldwide. And then he co-sponsored Station F, investing $250 million of his own money to construct the biggest startup campus in the world, right here in Paris. Long story short, he's a bit of a legend as far as startup lore goes. Currently worth over 8 billion euro, his fortune is dwarfed by his father-in-law, Bernard Arnault, the CEO of LVMH and the third richest man in the world. Well, it kind of depends on the day. Sometimes he's first, sometimes he's second. Sometimes it's difficult to put things in perspective, especially when you don't have personal experience with the products, person, or impact they've made. So for that reason, I've created the BBB Index to place Neil within a relatable framework. I'm not talking the Better Business Bureau here. This is what I call the Bezos, Benioff, Branson Index and should tell you everything you need to know and understand about the French billionaire at hand. So I've created this little index here. Uh, so for those of you who are familiar with tech leaders, you might find this funny. Otherwise, uh, maybe not so much. But anyway, I've compared uh, Xavier Neal to uh, a few tech leaders. Jeff Bezos, uh, former CEO of, of Amazon, uh, Mark Benioff, the CEO and chairman of the board at Salesforce, and Richard Branson, uh, another media mogul who founded Virgin uh, and all their subsequent sub-brands. Uh, so here's how I characterize the, the three of them. Jeff Bezos is comfortable with sending nudes online, innovation machine, and he owns a national newspaper. Uh, these are all somewhat similar to Xavier Neal. As I mentioned, his first venture was uh, Minitel porn, so selling porn over the internet. Uh, he happens to be an innovation machine behind the scenes of pretty much every important advancement that's taken place here in France. Uh, and he owns uh, at least a majority share in Le Monde, which is a, a major newspaper here, just like Bezos owns the Washington Post. Mark Benioff, his characteristics are larger than life, uh, his personality and stature. Mark Benioff is literally like 6'6", and I think Xavier Neal is, is pretty close to the same height. He develops and nurtures an ecosystem, uh, and he loves the cloud, um, which I think both of them quite literally love the cloud. Um and they're also very good at, at nurturing ecosystems. Richard Branson, his characteristics, uh, he's a telecommunications mogul. Duh, it's kind of obvious here. Uh, he's also European, which uh, I guess is a, a thing they have in common. 
and it's got multidisciplinary ambitions. Uh, I mean, he went from selling records to launching people into space. So uh, perhaps not exactly the same trajectory as Xavier Neal, but uh, I would consider them both very multifaceted. Uh, so I said that Xavier Neal kind of fits within this spectrum. So hopefully that places him within a framework that is understandable for those of you listening. All jokes aside, Xavier Niel is a hugely important figure in the French tech scene. Many of the organizations listed above had a lasting impact. In fact, if you were to draw out an org chart of the French tech ecosystem, you'd find Niel's fingerprints all over it. Xavier Niel was French tech before the term La French Tech was coined. But in the past several years, that very organization has been instrumental in maintaining the drumbeat toward digital sovereignty. Birth of La French Tech I've been reading Revolution, uh, Revolution Française, Emmanuel Macron, and The Quest to Reinvent a Nation by Sophie Petter. I couldn't help but recognize some childhood similarities between young Macron and Napoleon. Precocious literary teens, both wrote unpublished books, with a tendency to be outsiders in their community. Macron by choice, Napoleon perhaps less so. Napoleon, known for his leadership during the French Revolution, subsequently took the role of First Consul of France in 1799. Historically speaking, his legacy is the Napoleonic Code, an influential set of ideas that have been cited as, quote, the greatest codification of law since the fall of the Roman Empire by, and, uh, by historian Andrew Roberts. Although Napoleon consolidated power quite deftly, he organized around him several governing bodies that enabled him to run the empire efficiently and quasi-democratically. A senate, a tribune, a legislative body, second and third consuls, as well as local governments that rolled up into the higher organization. I've added a nice little org chart here in the web version if you're interested in taking a look. Lucky for you, I'm not here to dissect Napoleonic code, nor pontificate on his accomplishments or problematic nature. But to stretch this analogy to its fullest, I would like to attempt a breakdown of the French tech ecosystem and the bodies, government and otherwise, that have cropped up in service of Macron's broader vision for digital sovereignty. Now, this is a chart that actually might be worth looking at. I've published it on LinkedIn and Twitter and all the other social channels, but go ahead and take a look if you're interested. Uh, it really is a, a fairly comprehensive org chart uh, from government, uh, uh, private, public partnerships, uh, VCs, uh, startups, research, and think tanks. I, I've tried to cover it all in a, in a single place. If countries of the future are to be run like tech startups, then here is France's org chart. I've broken the departments down into three primary categories, finance, strategy, and sales and marketing. Though nascent, the ecosystem in France has already developed some complexity. What's most striking is the delicate dance between public and private branches to enable growth across the board. So let's break down these three departments. Finance. The finance department, for example, is composed of two key teams. BPI France is a public investment bank that injects around 5 billion euro in capital each year into domestic startups. The decision makers internally, however, are experienced investors, not public servants. Private venture capital, which was formerly sparse, is now booming, with savvy investors and partners ranging from angel to late-stage funding rounds. Strategy. Moving on to strategy, we also see a bifurcation between public and private contributors. In this case, various governments, uh, government ministers responsible for initiatives ranging from the digital economy to foreign trade and citizenship – Paired with some of the aforementioned policy organizations, domestic and pan-European, you've got a flywheel of ideas into action to bolster initiatives like recruiting talent, easing bureaucracy, or promoting the value of these companies in terms the general public can understand. Jobs, growth, public welfare. Sales and marketing. Lastly, we've got sales and marketing. Always the center of attention. La French Tech is essentially the ecosystem hype man. This is the utmost compliment, by the way. 
Under the stewardship of Kat Borlingen, former director of the organization, they have helped the ecosystem grow from 3 to 16 unicorns, expanded to 121 hubs around the world, up from 36, and rolled out amazing programs to attract foreign talent, the French Tech Visa, and support immigration and diversity, the French Tech Tremplin. If La French Tech is the hype man, then Station F is their stage. The renovated cargo depot in the 13th arrondissement of Paris is now the largest startup hub on the planet. Think of it like Y Combinator of France. Startup accelerator programs, sponsored incubators by industry vertical, events and networking opportunities all wrapped into one. The campus is impressive and certainly worth a trip if you have a chance to visit. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you spend any time at Station F, uh, go ahead and ping me. I'm involved in the French Tech International Group on Slack. Always down for a coffee. Combining these has been a potent strategy thus far. Even the old guard enterprise companies of France are getting involved to groom these new innovators. Though digital sovereignty may still be on the horizon, it's clear the battle strategy is working. On the move, en marche. From my vantage point, France seems to have lost the battle, but is certainly a contender for winning the war. Digital sovereignty is in line of sight, and it's a matter of keeping up momentum and building on top of the foundation put in place over the past several years. Naturally, I'm bullish on this ecosystem. After all, I'm dependent on it to keep writing this newsletter. But objectively, there is an energy that feels fresh, optimistic, and exciting. With that in mind, there's also uncertainty lurking on the horizon, namely a presidential election in 2022. En Marche is Macron's centrist party's name, by the way. In the wake of some big changes and radical societal transformations, it will be interesting to see if far-right nationalist challengers can put up a fight. Personally, I would prefer, I much prefer another five years of technological progress and leadership promoting digital sovereignty for an increasingly digital and global economy. Sometimes being an outsider gives you a unique perspective, one that brings insight that's impossible to come across from within. Napoleon, a lifelong outsider, rose to power and transformed post-revolution France. Macron, a self-proclaimed outsider and consummate networker, appears to be doing the same for his country in the digital era. I'll end with a quote from the godfather of French tech and centerpiece of today's article, Xavier Niel. I like being an outsider. It is better in France on the outside. To that, I respond, same. Well, I hope you're enjoying these articles as much as I am. Please share with anyone you think might be interested. You can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, uh, or again, send me uh, some feedback via email. Uh, all of my social channels are listed on the site. Uh, both on my Substack, on my personal site, as well as um, if you do take a look at the show notes here on the podcast. Until next time, uh, I will talk to you soon, and I hope you enjoyed.